We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. The arrival of a spaceship. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Flying saucers have invaded our planet. People of the Earth, attention. It's the invasion of the podcast. The whole world is under attack. Can it survive? And welcome to Invasion of the Podcast, where I try to take over the world one listener at a time. Uh, my name is Paul, and uh, somewhere near um, the tornado line is Steve right now. Hello, everyone. I'm just hoping my house stands up to the storm. Yeah, uh, we're recording this under a little bit of duress. Like uh, he's he's a little further west, and there's been like some uh, violent storm activity going on, and and it's like I looked out my window like a second ago. I was like, it looks okay, and I looked out again, and I'm like, did I just see Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt drive by? Like it's getting a little little um, little scary out there. So we're going to try Sweet. our best. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I don't want to derail this at all. I just wanted to mention this real quick. Uh, So um, I think I've mentioned before that my wife and I were married in um, a theater, uh, the State Theater in Sandusky, Ohio. And uh, I came home uh, right before we started uh, recording tonight. My wife was upset. And I'm like, what's wrong? She's like, the State Theater collapsed. I'm like, what? Wait, what? And I'm like, it just collapsed. And I didn't realize it was because of the storm. Apparently, some of the roof has come off of it, and, um, you know, there's bricks everywhere from the photos that I'm seeing. So, hopefully, the State Theater in Sandusky, Ohio is going to be repairable. It's a beautiful place. It's uh, The joke that I did not make to my wife uh, because <laughs> she was upset was, you're forgetting that it was also the theater that I first saw Return of the Jedi in. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you're, like, you're like, listen, listen, yes, our wedding day was very important, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I got kicked in the balls but um, <laughs> I just wanted to mention that up front so that it's if we have to cut out I apologize in advance uh, yeah, but we'll, uh, we'll, I'm, we'll I'm closer to the storm right now I think than Paul is so yeah so again and also there's, there's the, always the imminent threat of the power going out and all that so uh, I don't <laughs> Did you ever, like growing up, did you ever have that fear? And this is not a thunderstorm or lightning storm. Well, it's turbulent, but not a lightning storm. Would you ever hear the wives' tale of like, um, you can't be on the phone while there's a thunderstorm because the lightning could hit the house and go through the phone? You know, my mom probably told me that, but I don't remember. I, I, I remember like, you know, there are various things being told that were just there to frighten us, but yeah. Um, I don't remember that specific one. Supposedly my mom was like adamant that this happened once when she was younger. Like she was like a, like a teenager and she put the phone on the cradle just as the lightning struck the house and blew the phone off the wall. I don't know if that's true or not, but it makes you as a little kid that scares you, you know? So anytime the weather was a little weird out, she's like, you can't be on the phone right now. So yeah. Anyway, we're going to be podcasting. So if lightning strikes the house, that means the lightning's going to go straight through my head and hopefully I develop uh, superpowers or I, um, have the same ability like Mitch Pelegi and shocker and can then go through all podcasts. That's what I'm hoping for. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I already promised myself that I was like, I'm not going to just be a joke a minute. Uh, and I already am. Uh, uh that's just my default setting, unfortunately. Uh, cause I, my, 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 my intent always when I get in front of a microphone and there's some thunder. Okay, great. 
I, I'm not on the phone, so we should be okay. My intent as a, um, a podcaster is always to entertain and maintain attention. Um, and I, and my default is like jokey. And so that's, a, it's not a defense mechanism. I guess it is, but it's also kind of like the way I operate. Um, we didn't record last week and this is not, a, like, I guess I take a step back and I know I, I, Steve and I didn't discuss this beforehand cause he's like, my house is blowing away and I'm like, okay, can we record before the roof comes off? And he's like, okay, maybe, um, We've never ever hidden our feelings about like social topics. We we understand that we live in a world of like many voices and very differing opinions, and there are disagreements along some lines. And this show isn't one that tries to be like political. Um, however, with that being said, uh, with the shit that's going on right now, and by shit I mean all the all the protest, civil unrest. And everything going on that resulted from from the death of uh, George Floyd, it just last week it, it felt very tone deaf from Steve and I both being forty something year old white guys being like, you know what, let's yuck it up on a podcast and then talk about a, a western where people get shot a lot. Like we're we're not smart people, but we were smart enough not to think that was a good call, so we took the week off because we were both kind of just frustrated, depressed scared, like whatever feeling you want to throw in there, that's what we were all dealing with. And so I don't know, like it just, I don't know where our responsibilities lie in terms of providing content. Like I, I want to be entertaining. I want to, you know, have an interesting discussion, but I think right now, not acknowledging our place in time as we record this, I think that would be, um, I think that'd be just really shitty. And that's kind of where I'm like, that's where I'm going to land on that before we get into our main topic. Steve, I know I put you in a corner because I made this big declaration of, of opinion and you're going to be like, no, 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 we're good. We're good. It was Batman, Batman, Batman. So I understand. No, I, I just, you know, I wanted to say real quick. Yeah. Um, we, we do tend to stray away from politics, although a lot of the content that we talk about has, uh, I, I don't know if I would say a political background, but Certainly, there are a lot of social issues in a lot of the media that we partake in. Um, I've mentioned this before on the podcast. I'm always uh, taken aback when people didn't get the social messages in, say, Star Trek or X-Men or any other slew of you know comics and movies and books that are out there that are specifically geared towards – I shouldn't say specifically geared towards, but that those of us in the geek culture seem to, to, to love – um, so I don't think we shy away from that, but it did feel like last week wasn't really the week to have a good chuckle about, you know, a, a Western and we'll revisit that again at some point, but, um, it just didn't feel like it was time for us to be talking about that. So we took a break, but we're back this week. Yeah. So no news this week. I mean, you know, there's things actually going on for once. I mean, with the whole, the country reopening for, for good and for bad. There's actually things being discussed. We're not going to get into news. Um, uh, we don't have a game uh, because, you know, that sounds like that was by design. We just, we forgot. So there's no game this week. So the good news is, guys, that we normally have like a two and a half hour podcast that has many things. We're probably going to have a two and a half hour podcast about one thing. That's a joke because, you know, our houses are going to be struck by lightning. Uh, so it's going to be probably shorter than that. But so here here's where we kind of land on this. Like, you know, we're, we're not experts about, you know, uh, militarization of the police brutality, uh, you know, 
people's perception of the, the new cycle and what's being shown. That's we're not, that's not where we're at. We have our opinions and we have our thoughts. I, this isn't where I think that that needs to be said, but what, what do we know other than star Wars and Batman? The one we, we know, we know comics, we love movies. There's a lot of this that like Steve just said, X-Men, like things that like bring us to the table that have social messages that we as fans, we, we like a great deal. So I pitched to Steve, and I don't know if you can hear that thunder in the background. That's that sounds very ominous. <laughs> I just like, like I pitched to Steve. Um, I asked him. I was like, "Did you know about the time when the the Superman radio serial actually the series actually like took on the Ku Klux Klan?" And Steve had not heard the story before, so I was like, "Let's get into that." So it, so it happens that. Um, I feel like this is a good topic to get into because one, it's Superman and we can talk about like what is Superman, what he represents. And then two, how a show that um, could have completely skirted any of this actively chose to engage with something and it made a difference. So I think, I think these are all cool things. And, and actually, so the, the conversation is going to be twofold. One, we're going to be talking about um, there's the comic, there's a graphic novel that just came out very recently Um it uh, it's called Superman Smashes the Clan, and um, it's available to like I, I I'm not sure how much it was in Comicsology, but it's it's you know for a graphic novel you know I don't know it if was twelve ninety twelve there you go thirteen dollars and sorry go ahead and I just want to throw a plug out there if you're in the area if you're in the Cleveland area and you want to buy a physical copy I'm sure Carol and Johns will be happy to get you one oh yeah so it's 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 just worth a small plug for them yeah. this was. Um, this was a uh, a delight to read. I'll just say that. I mean, and it faced a lot of things head on. So, uh, and we'll talk about that more a little bit later because the reason the book exists because of the true story of what happened. Uh, and so there's another book that I read. So you guys should appreciate that I hunkered down enough to read a book. So do with that what you will. There's a there's a book from 2012 called Superman versus the Ku Klux Klan by Richard Bowers. Um, and I bought it like $10 on Kindle. And, I, and it's like 160 pages. I buzzed through it in like three hours. Um, and he goes through a couple different points to lead into what happened. So before we get it, like we get into a full, uh, Steve did find a trailer uh, for the actual comic. So we're going to play that to kind of set up everything. And then I'm going to regale... Steve with some history and then we'll talk about the comic and then, then we'll wrap up the show before our houses float away. So I hope everybody, hope everybody appreciates this. And now for our feature presentation. In 1946, the Superman radio show aired The Clan of the Friday Cross, a story where the Man of Steel defends a Chinese-American family against a group of hooded racists. Clan of the Friday Cross. This story made me love Superman because I realized that he is the product of two different cultures, just like me. I'm Gene Luen Yang, and it's my hope that this story will inspire us all to rise up, up, and away. Okay, so to tell this story, and I am not the one to qualify to tell us people, if you want better detail and better knowledge, please read the book uh, that Rick Bowers put together because it's, it's, it's an entertaining read and interesting, and he does his research. But I think it's important to state that this isn't just a story of Superman. 
uh, it's a story of the creators of Superman, which I know Steve knows about, like uh, the Cleveland guys uh, that put this together. That was, um, I had them, I have this right in front of me. It is, uh, I took all the notes. It's, um, shoot, Steve, tell me the, the creators of Superman. I'm already falling apart. Jerry, now. Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, yes. two uh, Jewish immigrants who grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, which... Uh, I don't want to drive us off on tangents here, but mm-hmm. it drives me nuts that Superman is not more celebrated in our city. That's fair. The world's first superhero was created here. He should be everywhere. Gun yes. ranting, but no, yes. no, 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 no. You're right, and it's just like I had my notes in here, but it was all me like picking up details about all those those two. So wow, that's that's me falling on me. He's right from the get go. Uh, so it's important to point out that um, that they grew up like a little post depression. And so like jobs were like, you know, it was a lot of job loss. There was a lot of, um, you know, just things were bad all over and they happened to live, um, in a tight knit community, like near Cleveland where it, it was, it was, it was a small pocket of like, it was a Jewish neighborhood where they had relative, like, like their, their upbringing was okay but there's the pressures of the world around them and they saw things because of some, like some of the stuff they dealt with high school, some other stuff too. So the creation of Superman was based upon their love of pulp stuff. Also, they wanted to have someone that like in a lot of ways represented a lot of like their faith as well in terms of like you go out there and you do things to help repair the world. So there's a lot of that that sneaks into here too. Um, and there was also kind of like, uh, with the new deal when it came out about like, we're going to fix America. Like they kind of got together and was like, we're going to do this now because their original take on Superman was more of a science fiction story about an evil scientist that was the Superman. So there's a lot there, but the actual story of this goes back further than that. Cause we get to talk about, uh, so there with talking about the Ku Klux Klan, which is never, I never thought would be a subject on our show. Um, that's an organization that, that started in the collapse of the civil war when the, the South lost. And there's no doubt about that. Read your history people. And it was a bunch of former Confederate soldiers that were, here's my take on history. They were butthurt and didn't know what to do with themselves. So you'll probably never find that in any Ken Burns documentary or Wikipedia article. They were butthurt and they all got together and they decided to form the secret society. And it was like based kind of loosely on like a fraternity. They came up with the name cause they thought it sounded cool. And this is all true. They're like, it sounds cool. And then they gave themselves like official titles of like, uh, Oh, um, Oh, dragon wizard. Uh, Oh, Titan. Like it was like, they're just trying to give themselves like cool nicknames. Like if like Steve and I, like we're not podcasting and I'd be like, uh, Hey, what's, what's up Nighthawk? You know, like that's, that's where this was. And it was dumb. And they got together and they would have like their little secret society and they would rove the countryside. And at first it was them drinking and being idiots. And then it kind of morphed into them terrorizing, um, uh, you know, uh, people of color and, and, and instigating and saying that they were the ghosts of Confederate soldiers rising up to punish them. And that part of the clan collapsed because they started getting too big, uh, cause their actions are getting too noticeable and they were doing terrible things and they got disbanded. So the clan itself has kind of risen in waves, right? So that's the thing that that's important to the story. Uh, so as that was happening and, even though the clan itself was officially gone, 
there was always these people that were like always kind of waiting for the next big thing. Um, so what happened was um, there was a little film called Birth of a Nation, which I, Steve, I'm sure you, you've you've heard about. Um, it was yeah. I, I yeah. actually uh, we re- I don't remember if we viewed the entire film uh, back in college. There was a class that I took. I don't remember specifically which one. Uh, where we had a discussion of Birth of a Nation, and I think we may have only just watched clips of it, yeah, um, because we flew through a lot of films. But yeah, it's pretty much just a giant KKK propaganda film. But no, I, yeah, no, I, I, I'm yeah. well aware of it. So. No, it's it's it, it's important cinematically because it was actually a longer format film that told this broad sweeping story. It was really ahead of its time. It did things like, since it was a black and white film, but they colored um, particular scenes of the film to kind of reflect different moods. Like anytime Lincoln was on the screen, it was purple. Like all the like, it was trying to set tone, and it was a technical marvel at the time. Like that's in terms of its place in film history, it should be noted for what it did physically. But in terms of its message, it's dog shit because the clan are the are the the, um, the victors there. Um, but so before we get back to that, so I should say, uh, uh, uh this isn't in Thanksgiving, 1915, William Simmons invited a group of his, uh, his friends to a meeting uh, in Atlanta, uh, 16 believers climbed into a tour bus and set out on an eight mile drive to stone mountain. Um, and then they went to the top of that. They, um, lit a cross on fire and it's all this garbage and they, they resurrected the Ku Klux Klan at that point. Right. So that's 1915. So then when, um, as they're kind of building speed, Birth of a Nation comes out in 1925. Uh, and, and sorry, what was it? Yeah. No, sorry. That, that, I take that back. Sorry. Uh, before I think Birth of a Nation came out around that time, uh, he planned to have a public announcement to coincide with the Atlanta premiere Birth of a Nation. So 1915. And as the film premiered in Atlanta, the crowd went nuts for it. And then when they came outside, uh, he actually, this guy, William Simmons actually had a group of 100 Klansmen plus standing military style with like their, their rifles in the air. And basically that would have been like if we watched Endgame and walked out and saw all of the heroes, you know, like been like, Oh my God, that's all these guys. They knew they had, a, they had a, a powder keg of a film that was going to get people's attention and they rode the PR into it. So think about that for a minute. People don't talk about that a whole lot. That's messed up. So that started up again. Uh, and in 1925, uh, 40,000 Klansmen marched on Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington, D.C. as a show of strength during the DNC. Um, by that time, they controlled dozens of mayors, judges, police chiefs, state legislators, and all that stuff. Um, they also like naming everything with the letter K, which is like the nerdiest thing I've ever heard of. Everything. Everything. They had, um, oh, what was it? Uh, a, a cool clan something. It was like... Um, it was a, a beach that they would actually have like summer vacations and shit. And that's all true. It was so dumb, but there's a Claverin in Akron, Ohio at this time in 1925, it claimed to have 52,000 members making it the largest local chapter in the country. So Steve, think about that in, in August, 1925 or 1925 in general, Akron had the biggest like den of Klansmen. That's great. Now they have the football hall of fame, I guess. So, that's yeah, bad. that's horrifying. Uh, I mean, you, I tend to think of, and admittedly this is biased because I grew up in Ohio, but you tend to think of Ohio as one of the states being 
closer to being on the right side of history. Um, so that's that's unfortunate. I'm well, consider glad to hear that. Yeah, that's fair because like uh, Ohio actually had like the most like enlisted uh, men in the Union Army in the Civil War. That's where the Columbus Blue Jackets get their team name because of the number of enlisted men in the, the Union Army. So that's fair. Um, so yeah, but think about this though, as a uh, sequel and Schuster were growing up, like in the outskirts of Cleveland, they were like minutes away from like this, this nest of hate, you know, and not that they weren't aware of the pressures, uh, and the way the world viewed, um, you know, the Jewish people, but like, my God, they know that's in your backyard. And these, and these kids are getting together and being like, wouldn't it be cool if this guy could like, you know. I don't know. Like think, think about the, 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 the Superman being created just in the shadow of all this, which I, I guess I want to stress before I lose all my, my narrative because I'm capable of this is that the Ku Klux Klan came together because a bunch of guys were upset that they lost and they made their own mythology. They tried to make it look mysterious and bigger than it was. So these guys were crafting their own fan fiction, telling their own narrative and putting it out there. That's important because Superman is a creation of fiction. So it's just a matter of how it was used. And I will get, I'm sure we'll get more into that later. I just want people to get that. My point across this is that you have, you have um, competing narratives in the sense of like, these guys just made all this up and these two kids made this all up too. So, you know, just think about that. Just, just consider that as we go forward. I want to point out too. Um, so, this isn't necessarily the same thing, but I think this is important to note. Uh, Steve, did you know that in 1939, in February of 1939, there was a uh, an American Nazi rally in Madison Square Garden? No, I, I that's another piece of trivia that I did not know about uh, American history. Yeah, it was shortly before we uh, entered World War II, and if it hadn't been for you know them picking a fight with us, there was a lot of homegrown... Uh, like American Nazism and fascism uh, that I feel like is folded into this. I just want to mention that. Uh, I want to throw out a shout out right now. Um, there's a podcast to listen to uh, that's called Behind the Bastards. There's a guy named Robert Evans. He does amazing research. He has, there's there's four episodes to point out. One's called Part One, The Birth of American Fascism in Part Two, and then The Birth of the Ku Klux Klan in Part Two. He always brings people in that are kind of comedians. He goes through history better than I will. Really entertaining, but also scary. I did not know that there was a big enough upswell of like Nazi ideals before World War II in our own, like it's Madison Square Garden. Yeah. So 1940. Um, at this time, we should mention then that Superman at like, so uh, when was, when was Action Comics? When was the first Superman uh, uh, issue published? I don't know the month, but it's 1938. Yeah. So think about that too. 1938, everybody knows that iconic image of him pushing the car up, like saving somebody that's going on. Superman sets the world on fire because, um, uh, uh, Siegel and Schuster realized that like, why not have a guy that has all these abilities and that is like, you know, they, a lot of his, what, what people know Superman will come later in terms of some of his powers and things. But they decided to take the idea of like, if someone has all his abilities, what would it be like if he was a force of good? 
And there's, there's a whole thing in the book that I read that kind of goes into the history of like how that kind of came to be. But when Superman came out, it was a hit. It was gangbusters. Like Steve said, this was the first like superhero. Like um, they couldn't make enough Superman at the, like it was big. Uh, there was even the, um, uh, the comic company, like, the people behind this, like they uh, actually created a subsidiary called Superman Inc., that actually was like, they had to figure out ways. It's like, we need to get Superman on cereal boxes, lunch boxes, you know, uh, Spaceballs the movie, whatever. Like they, they went full tilt into marketing Superman and he was so widespread. And like, it was just the biggest thing. And that actually kind of brought comic books forward because at the time it was a lot of like crime pulp and like more, I don't know. It was kind of all over the place, but superheroes were becoming a thing as Superman was leading the way. And he was so big that in uh, the summer of 1940, which again, <laughs> you're thinking about like, this was um, less than a year after that rally in Madison square garden. Um, that's when the Superman radio show premiered as well. So, um, but I also want to mention that in summer of 40, there was a development that took place. Adolf Hitler's Nazi regime uh, flexed its like flexed its muscles into like America. Like I was mentioning, the Ku Klux Klan began flirting with the American Nazis, um, and there was something called the German American Bund that was led by Nazi sympathizers, which held that rally. Um, so the Klan was like cozying up to the Nazis. So that's why I think it's important to mention that it's like. People would be like, oh, maybe you're trying to draw a line between all these groups. Well, they hate others and they want them gone. You can't, I don't care what you call them. They're all on the same team, you know? So, um, yeah. So the clan was actually be like, you know, that, those Nazis, they, they have a great idea. Um, but then the Superman radio show came out and it was, um, it was, it was huge. Like it did so well. It's like, I don't know what to equate it to reading about the magnitude of the radio show. Um, it kids tuned in like weekly, like every, like there was like three times a week or something like that. If I remember right. And it was like 15 minute segments. And you know, like I, I have a hard time remembering whenever we were stuck watching broadcast television. If we missed something, we missed it. I can't imagine taking time away to listen to the radio three times a week and be, and make sure I'm there. Cause if not, I lose it. Yeah. I, I, uh, I just want to go back real quick. Um, you'd mentioned, Please. uh, just basically when Superman came out, you know, what, what existed before that? I think one of the things that, uh, people don't know is a lot of the comics that were out at that time were just reprints of the newspaper, uh, strips. So, um, I'm trying to think of, what was available at that time. And I keep thinking like, no, this, you know, like the, for instance, peanuts doesn't come along to the sixties, but like the things that you would find in your local newspaper, the funny section, comics were just reprints of those. That's, yes. There were, uh, you know, um, comics, I believe based on flash Gordon. Um, I don't know if the shadow had comics based on him or if those were just, uh, pulp novels at the time. But the long story short is, is that, Superman creates the superhero comic and it's a big boom when it happens. And the other thing that I wanted to mention is, is the thing that we think of or the things that we think of at least with Superman as a con uh, contemporary hero, hero, um, you know, fighting say Lex Luthor or 
um, Brainiac, uh, Metallo, the you know science fiction style supervillains. Although Lex Luthor is for the most part a businessman, those things didn't exist when Superman started. He was a champion of the oppressed. Um, and I, I, I know we said we wouldn't get too political, and if this pisses people off, I'm sorry, but you might even call him a social justice warrior. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, no, I'm so. not, I, I, Steve, we're going to get to a very, <laughs> very political story about a fictional character fighting a real, like a real cause. So, yeah, right. yeah, he was. like, And I was going to get into that, too, because um, the Superman mission statements changed over time. But, yeah, you're right. He was a champion of uh, the oppressed, which... I meant to get into this too, so I, I'm going to cut you off. I apologize. Uh, so with Jerry and Joe's uh, heritage, Jew, Jewish her- heritage, uh, the all-American superhero reflected many of the beliefs and values of Jewish immigrants. This is me quoting from the book, uh, Superman vs. the Ku Klux Klan by Rick Bowers. Um, like them, Superman had come to America from a foreign world. Uh, like them, he longed to fit into a strange new surrounding. Superman also seemed to embody the Jewish principle of uh, Tezadaka, um, I'm messing that up. A command to serve the less fortunate and to stand up for the weak and exploited. Um, and the mandate to do good works, literally repair a broken world. Even the language of Superman had Jewish origins. Before Superman is blasted off the dying planet of Krypton, Superman's father, Jor-El, renames his son Kal-El, which in ancient Hebrew, the suffix El stands for all that is God. So, I, you know, just... Think about that for a second. But they wanted to make him in the Midwest. Like, they, they raised him in the Midwest. They wanted to make him quintessential American. He was both weak and strong, um, with Clark Kent being a bumbler. Uh, it's like they were trying to, like, this with millions of people struggling through the Depression, they could imagine uh, themselves, like, you know, shedding their plain run-of-the-mill exteriors to reveal their power within. Like, they, they, people related to Clark Kent as Superman. And, you know, like, this is, like, as much as I sometimes get frustrated with Superman as an idea in the sense of, like, he is everything that, you know, uh, like, he only has a weakness to, I don't know, a green rock. But I could see why this would appeal at that time. I could see how this was, like, we're going to make him from a different world, but he is an American. He's an American and he fights for the downtrodden. I can see why this, once people got a sniff of it, why it went like gangbusters at the time. Yeah. I mean, it's very interesting. If you look at those early Superman cartoon or cartoons comics, uh, and see a lot of what they were doing with it was very much like, uh, uh, defending the, the obviously it's always been a, a piece of Superman that he's defending those who can't defend themselves, but also like, uh, one of the things that I, I just looking over the history, um, you know, he was a hero that was, uh, designed to defend the weak and they would offer p- portray him as protecting the weak. Um, and basically, uh, they used incidents such as, uh, a mine accident in Athens, mm-hmm. uh, which I was unaware of actually until I just saw this, uh, in, uh, 1930 as sort of, uh, um, an inspiration for one of the stories, uh, because the, uh, I'm not doing this justice, so I apologize. No, but, like uh, he, like what, like, so I, I know what you're talking about one of the early, I think this was actually even in that, um, 
that original action comics because the whole thing was like kind of a bunch of vignettes where Superman actually overheard because he he helped a mine collapse. And then he overheard that it's like the, the people that are actually in charge of the mine are not taking proper precautions. So he shows up to like this dinner party and was like, hey, you know, you guys are all living off of like these guys' backs and making all this money, but you need to know what it's like. So he takes them down to a mine and collapses it and forces them to climb their way out so they could learn the value. And the mine foreman, like the owner or whatever, is like, he vows to make his mine the safest. It's like, okay, good. That never happened, like in terms of like mind safety, but you see the intent. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I think that uh, I don't know how many people know that about Superman. I don't know how many people know about that early history of the character. Um, and it's it's in some ways in stark um, difference to the way the character is portrayed now, just simply because you typically don't see him taking on those types of things because, you know, creators oftentimes have to come up with Superman level threats. So it's him, you know, fighting dark side. Who's although to be fair, dark side is an oppressor who rules apocalypse uh, and everyone's slaves. Uh, so it's just a larger canvas, I suppose, to paint upon. But uh, that's always been part of his character. Um, and even though in some ways he was depowered, in some, in a lot of the earlier stories, like he didn't fly at first. He only, you know, jumped, uh, or leaped, uh, over tall buildings. He, uh, I don't believe was as fast as he was. He wasn't as strong as he is now. Um, that's sort of built up over the generations, but at his core, who Superman is, has been the same since, you know, 1938. And I, I think people sometimes forget that. No, that, that's a valid point. So um, there, there's one other part of the story I think it's important worth mentioning. Uh, there's a gentleman, um, I have his name here, see, in my notes somewhere. Uh, where is it at here? His last name is Stetson. No, his first name is Stetson. Stetson Kennedy is a guy who actually grew up in the South, and he never understood why everybody hated people of color, and he was kind of an outcast. Like, even his own family couldn't understand why he was, like, their people. He had an uncle in the clan. Like, it's just, he was, he never treated, like, the, the, he, they were, they were people, and he treated everybody the same, and he grew up, like, with this notion of, like, like why is this happening? So he actually um, went out of his way, and actually during the Works Project Authority under FDR, he actually became a one of the jobs they created for writers that were out of work, and this is something that never happened today. They paid them to go out to collect people's stories. And he had this huge like device that was a recorder that was like the size of like a coffee table that could would, like actually record people's like vocal recordings on, like acetate or something. I don't re recall exactly, but they would go to like the, like the really rural parts of the South and collect stories from former slaves and everything. And he was a folklorist. He would collect stories. And so he actually very sympathetic and very frustrated from the jump. It's important to point out that he was also very antagonistic in the right ways that uh, whenever the clan was like kind of getting their foothold again, like we mentioned, he would, um, anytime there was like anything that was like remotely flattering of the clan, he would write and call out other reporters and be like, you're, you know, you're not helping. And he would want to get into the organization 
and he, he was exposing a lot of their secrets in terms of like their dumb handshakes, their dumb titles, and their dumb rituals. Because he's like, these are just a bunch of idiots wearing bed sheets. That it's just a cool kids club. And that's all it is. And he was trying to shine a light on how ridiculous it was because that would depower it. So it's important to mention that while this was going on with the Superman radio show going on, um, let's see here. Uh, there was this other thing going on where um, Stetson Kennedy moved to Atlanta to do more writing about like the Nazis and the Klan because that was like the hotbed because this, the, there was all these times in like the southern states where the Klan was a recognized nonprofit. Think about that for a second, because on their surface, they they were not about hate. You know, it's like that's that their mission statement was like, no, 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 we don't hate people. We just don't want them near us because they're destroying our society. So. Okay, I don't know how you justify those two sides of that statement, but great, whatever. So um, Stetson Kennedy joined. He was part of this group called the ADL, which I can't remember what that stood for, but they gave him false identification. They they made him, his his fake identity was a encyclopedia salesman named John S. Perkins. And per, as Perkins, Kennedy subscribed to dozens of hate sheets published by um the, the American Gentile Army, the White Front, the Christian Front, the Union Crusaders of Christ, Fox News. I didn't just say that. Um, and then he would keep trying to get closer to the inner workings of the Klan. So as he was getting more and more information, he was, he was giving it back to the ADL. And they were passing it out to responsible individuals to be like, this is verifiable information. This is what they're doing. And it helped quell some of the potential, like, like um, shit they were going to pull in terms of like, like um, violence. And there was some other things going on in place too. The, the big thing to take away from this is that Stetson Kennedy um, later in his life, he would um, glorify his roles and everything. So it's really hard to parse out exactly what he did, except that he hated the clan and he went in and like, like took their information and kept turning it out and not letting any boat anybody know that he was like internally part of the organization, which commendable it's just that he kind of inflated his own importance later so it's hard to it's hard to suss that out but i'm not going to begrudge a guy that was smashing the clan if he's going to make himself look bigger than he was just throwing it out there so what happened next and this is leading into this comic we're going to talk about uh after world war ii um you had mentioned, Steve, you mentioned some of the, the different villains that Superman had fought because he had a big, he, during World War II, during the radio program, um, they realized, and during the comic book, it was like, you can't have Superman who is like this guy of like boundless potential and powers go over and just kill Hitler. Like you can't, that doesn't make sense. And it kind of demeans the American war effort. So they had to try to find a way to keep Superman like from the front lines. I don't know if you read any about this, the, the, their solution was actually kind of funny how they came up with it. So I, I know that comics at that time were twofold. One, a lot of them were reading material for guys that were over there mm -hmm. um, and were a way for them to escape uh, and get at least a little piece of or a little taste of home while they were out, you know, fighting the Nazis, but also uh, comics at that time became a very big, uh, I don't want to use the word propaganda, but they were used to like, you know, encourage buying war bonds and, um, you know, help get weapons into, you know, our soldiers hands and things like that. It was a very big, um, 
production behind them to uh, help us win the war by, you know, reading the comics and uh, the way the characters were used, basically. Uh, so I'm unaware specifically of the, the, the reason that you're referring to. Um, my knowledge of the history is just that I know that they were used to help the, the United States, um, you know, bolster the, the efforts back home and, and encourage us to keep fighting. So, uh, yeah. I do also think that a lot of the comics from that era uh, are gone now because they were recycled. <laughs> so <laughs> That's fair. You're, you're right that actually there was a, there was a time there that um, the U.S. government made it a point to be like, you need to get Superman comics over to our troops. Like it was, a, they actually made sure it's like this, this helps them pass the time and, like you talk like propaganda, like, okay. But they made it a point of like, you let's get these in the hands of guys showing them that, you know, the world's first superhero has got their backs like in a way like that helps too. So it was a big deal. But so eventually they landed on no pun intended that Superman would only be used for like special assignments or coming to help, like, like support the troops in terms of like, good job guys. But in the comic books, they, um, what happened was that uh, Clark Kent was actually like going in to like join the army and he was so anxious and nervous that when he took the eye test, he, he read the eye chart in the next room using his uh, x-ray vision and he failed the eye test. So they couldn't let him be part of the army, which I think is hilarious. I think now that you say that, I, I think I did know that and I just forgot, but that's, <laughs> that's really great, which is funny too, because at that time, you know, uh, comics uh, that were out, uh, for instance, like Captain America. And I think there are some Superman comics that also did this where it was literally like it, it would have nothing to do with the interior story. And there, That's actually still a, a thing that happens a lot of times in modern comics. But um, it would be a cover of like Captain America, like literally just punching Hitler in the face <laughs> or, uh, you know, Superman punching a Nazi or whatever. Uh, a lot of great covers that came out along that time, but it did present a problem because with Superman, like he could solve this problem in 30 seconds. Yeah. So they had, that's interesting that they, you know, found such a clever way to keep him out of the war. So, yeah, even so like look magazine actually commissioned Siegel and Schuster to create a strip entitled how Superman would end the war. Um, and for the assignment, they, uh, took off their gloves. This is one of the few times they directly addressed everything because they normally didn't say like a Hitler or, um, uh, Mussolini, whoever, like they didn't name names, but this time, uh, they named Hitler. So, uh, Superman would grab the Fuhrer by the scruff of his neck and, and growl at him. I like to land a strictly non-Aryan sock on your jaw. But instead of taking justice into his own hands, Superman delivers Hitler to a tribunal of world leaders for to face justice. And that's the most Superman thing. It's like, you know, I could end you right now, but that's not justice. Like, I think that's important to, to mention there. But so World War II came to an end. Um, and he also fought people like uh, there was an Adam man. Uh, uh, the, sorry. Yeah. Adam man. I think that was his name. Um, and there was somebody else too, that there was a lot of like Nazi, like, uh, villains that he would fight. And that was really popular. Um, but then at the, once it was done, um, they didn't have a new villain. So the show was drawing more than 4 million listeners to nearly 200 mutual stations nationwide and garnering solid ratings. Um, 
So German scientists, foreign dictators, Japanese traders were no longer relevant. Um, like mobsters, monsters, scientists, that wasn't, it didn't, it, they'd done it too much. So, um, the, uh, one of the vice presidents that was, uh, one of the sponsors, um, Kellogg's the, you know, the cereal company, uh, this vice president, William B. Lewis asked a question, what if Superman tackled contemporary social issues like racism and anti-Semitism? And cause there's a lot of things that were going on at the time. Uh, so he's like, why not take it on? What if the Superman teach children the values of tolerance and fair play and the importance of accepting other kids, regardless of race, religion, and national origin? What if Superman could teach a generation of children to reject those who preached prejudice and hate? Um, so Lewis had like, he was on the right idea. This is a sponsor that's making cereal. And it's like, well, what if we just fight hate? And it's like, do you think that will sell? Um, and so it was kind of like Stetson Kennedy will claim that he was the one that kicked off the idea. Um, but there's also like the, the sponsors are like, what about this? And the guy who was in charge of Superman Inc. I, I, I think his name was Baxter. I, I should put in my notes here who was also um, of Jewish descent living in New York. He was like, yes, that's a great idea. And so they commissioned um, like, um, they commissioned their writer, Siegel and Schuster. They, they didn't have a lot of involvement in the radio show. Uh, you know, we could talk about their rights issues and things later. It's, it's a bummer what happened to them. Uh, but their foundational work of what Superman was and what is, was still like informing the writers for this. So, um, they called, they called this, um, set up, as they're figuring all this out, Operation Intolerance, which again, this is 1947. This blows my mind. Like thinking of everything that's happened since then. And even when you look out your window right now, like 47, they're getting this shit right then for a radio program that's selling cereal. I can't understand this. Yeah. And again, not to get too contemporary, but it's a thing where you're like, wow, they, how, how, how have we not gotten this far? Like, you know, it's, if they had this idea in 1947, why are we still behind? It feels like a lot of the time. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's 46. So forgive me. I got my notes wrong here. So, so even, yeah. even sooner, <laughs> even sooner. Yes. <laughs> um, so they said looking ahead to operation intolerance, uh, Maxwell, who's the guy behind Superman Inc knew one thing for sure. Entertainment had to trump education. The programs would have to be fast paced and full of adventure. This is me again, not uh, quoting from the book Superman versus uh, the KKK uh, by Rick Bowers. So this guy's much more smartful and um, well stated better than myself. Uh, programs would have to be fast paced and full of adventure. Each episode would have to end with a compelling cliffhanger to make listeners come back the next day. Superman's adversaries would have to be just as frightening as the criminal masterminds and mad scientists of old. So uh, they, they consulted with a lot of people. There was a lady named Miss Frank who um, they came to about like, like child psychology and things. Um, she began um, soliciting advice from uh, organizations like Big Brothers of America to the National Conference of Christians and Jews. Um, they ran sample scripts by leaders of those organizations and channel feedback to the writers and producers. So they went through a lot of this, um, you know, to make it right. Um, so... In 46, the first on-air reference to the program that was coming, because this, again, was a weekly show, uh, on February 5th, 46, announcer Jackson Beck intoned a new opening. 
And here it is. Yes, it's Superman, strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, defender of law and order, champion of equal rights, valiant, courageous fighter against the forces of hate and prejudice. So that was the new intro for the show. Um, that sat for a little bit until April 16th, 46, uh, whenever um, millions of children tuned in uh, to listen to the new serial that was happening with Superman. Uh, it said, this time Superman would not be battling mad scientists, atomic weapons, and supernatural menaces. He would not be turning back tidal waves and breaking up smuggling rings. This time America's favorite superhero would be declaring war on religious bigots and racist extremists. Um, the first installment was titled The Hate Mongers Organization. So this was the part of like what, like 13 or 15. Um, like this would be on with uh, the Clan of the Fiery Cross. Like this would be, this would be like their big linchpin. Like this would be their, like their series and um, to attack the clan. Uh, they had to um, come up with different names for, because that's why they call it the, the, the clan of the fire cross because the Ku Klux Klan was a recognized organization as a nonprofit in many places. Um, but they were getting this information from the ADL and they were, folding that information in because their goal was that it was multifaceted. One, they didn't want kids like tuning in late and hearing like bigoted language and think that, um, Superman was about that Two, Um, they wanted to make sure that like they addressed that. Yes, this is local, but this is also bigger than this. And they wanted to point out that it is a national problem and that a lot of the, the emphasis behind the problem, sorry, behind the organization is just to make money. It was a pyramid scheme. And also they wanted to make a point of having other people step up to be heroic and not just Superman. So they had to find situations in which individuals stood up against this as opposed to Superman saving the day, which again, 1946, 47, like how, how did we get so aware then? And then we just like fall asleep for 50 years. What is going on? Yeah, I, 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 I just been listening to you. I, I feel like I'm a listener this evening. I I, I wish I had an answer. Um, and again, I know that you're not. Nobody's looking to me, but like Steve, tell us why. Um, but I think uh, at the heart of the character, a lot of what you just spoke to is one of the things that I think sometimes gets missed when certain writers are writing the character. Um, Superman, I think, is at his best when he's tackling a problem that he can't just easily dismiss with his powers. Um, and it is interesting. And again, I, I, yeah, I, I just said it like what, five, 10 minutes ago, how this message that was around 70 years ago somehow is needing to be retaught today and how, uh, how, how that message hasn't persevered. Um, it, it's, I guess in some ways it has, um, and I'm certainly not one who should be talking about inequality, but um, it's it's striking sometimes to see the things that were done, particularly in you know the the 30s, 40s, uh, with comic book characters, and and seeing like that they've the things that they stood for and the messages that they were trying to give their readers, and how somehow 
seven years later, we're still not seeing the, yeah. the fruit of that message. So I'm going to, I'm going to take a step back cause I got things wrong again. So bear with me. So a brief aside, uh, if you guys, anybody watches drunk history, you can go on YouTube and find this. There's uh, a wonderful segment that they do talking about Superman fighting the KKK with the radio programs. And the guy who's telling the story just gets blasted and it's really entertaining, but he bases his story off of Stetson Kennedy, which great. The guy pumps himself up, but it's like, it's, it's not accurate. And then I texted Steve, I was like, drunk history is not accurate, but so I'm not, I'm not accurate either. So I'm, I'm reading notes and I'm drinking. So this is also drunk history. So the, the original bit that happened in April was called the hate mongers organization. Um, and then, uh, the, that moves on to, so that was April of 46. Um, in, uh, let's see here. Where, where'd it go? The, the 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 clan of the fiery cross uh, sequence, I should say, actually happens in June. Um, but in May May ninth, nineteen forty six, in Atlanta, um, a three hundred foot tall wooden cross was burned uh, on a granite butte near the top of Stone Mountain. Um, so Samuel Green, who was the guy who was behind the, the modern resurgence at that time of the clan. Uh, he didn't realize that his uh, organization had been compromised because of Stetson Kennedy. So the Georgia Department of Law had placed undercover agents inside Claverin Number One. I hate these names. Uh, like there was one like called the Grand Cyclops. It's like, did you only have one hole in your mask? Why would you call yourself the Cyclops? Um, and the FBI was watching and listening to uh, Stetson Kennedy had been at that revival, and then um, he. Uh, he even scored an application to the Invisible Empire, the Knights of the Ku Klux Klan in Atlanta. So he purchased a $10 robe and kept moving in closer and closer uh, and then getting information and feeding it up up the chain. So, um, sorry, ADL is Anti-Defamation League. You think I would know that. Um, so the radio team actually went to them for information about the Klan and they got this mother load of information from Kennedy. So... Um, they actually ended up putting together this clan of the fire cross situation that it actually premiered June 10th, 1946. So think about the speed um, of how fast things happen now in the effort to go into it. This cross burning in, in Atlanta was May 9th. The radio program that went nationwide was June 10th. That seems fast now. I can't even imagine like, what went into it then to make, this was a 16 part radio series. Like that's crazy to me. And you got to respect their effort and their ability to turn around that fast. And that time when information didn't travel that quickly, right? Like, and just my God, like that blows my mind. Yeah. Um, I, I hate that every time that you make a point, I'm like, yeah, um, I feel like Bill Lumberg. Uh, so, well, you know what I mean? Like, I just like I think th think about this. Like, I, I know I know you and um, and Ryan is two man team, and you're putting out content, and then you and I are a two man team. But something this big and with this much like social responsibility and research to be turned around in a month would be would be impressive now. Um. For it to be done then for mass broadcast and consumption by children a month later via a radio program, I, I just, I can't equate that to anything that I could think of, like a modern equivalency of that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm trying to think 
and again, it's not even the same level, but I'm, I, and again, I'm using a, a comics analogy. Um, I'm thinking of some of the comics Marvel put out after 9-11. Yeah, that's fair. Um, one of them was, uh, I think it might have actually been, the, st- the, tor- the title of the story may have actually been The New Deal, but the, the short of it is is that, uh, you know, at the beginning of the, the comic, Captain America is on the site trying to find survivors, um, he's not in costume. He's just dressed, you know, as Steve Rogers and, um, you know, he, uh, has a conversation with Nick Fury and then, uh, as he's leaving the site because there's a mission for him, um, he, uh, runs into, uh, somebody attacking, uh, a character of an Arab background who's, happened to have just been, you know, born an American and actual American, um, and intervenes and sort of, uh, talks about, you know, the, the hate, uh, that was brought out of this and, um, how it's sort of seated within our own country, unfortunately, and taking it out on the, on the wrong people. Um, so that's the that's the equivalent that I can come up with, but I, I don't think it was that soon. I feel like that may have actually even been a year after nine eleven. Um, but that's the only like modern comparison I can think of. Yeah, I just I don't know. Like I just I know with all the um, with the COVID nineteen things, like there is like stuff that came together pretty quickly. Like, but like like a Parks and Rec reunion is not the same thing as this. And I know I don't think anybody associated with that would like would even begin to say, "Well, that was a lot of scheduling." Like you know, um, but this is just, it. Just it it just it blows my mind. So uh, so we're going. We'll we'll talk about the Clan of the Fiery Cross in a minute um, because uh, unbeknownst to me, when I sat down and read the graphic novel. Um, it actually follows the radio program pretty closely and it, and it's updated in some wonderful ways. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Cause I know Steve read it and it's, it's a wonderful read, but well, let's talk about the, um, the aftermath of it. And then once we get through that, um, we'll, we'll then, uh, you know, we'll, we'll pause for a second and then talk about the comic, the graphic novel. It's out now. Uh, cause I think that would be better to do that. I don't know unless you disagree with that. No, no, I'm I'm good with however you want to purchase. Okay, so uh, it did it, it did gangbusters. It was an unprecedented success because there was a big risk going into this. People may never buy Kellogg's again. I don't know. Uh, the increase in ratings solidified the Avengers Superman as the undisputed leader in children's radio. Praise poured in from such organizations as the United Parents Association. Um, so even like uh, like everybody like there was a lot of people that um, did they, they just came out and said this was amazing. They actually handled this well. Um, and they said, what was it? Um, the, the, the advertising agency and uh, Kellogg's and all these people laid down the gauntlet to other children's programs. We think more shows should be doing this type of work. Um, and then Bob Maxwell, who's the guy behind um, Superman Inc. He's like, here's the nation's answer. You know, so in August 49, Grand Dragon Samuel Green Retired to his rose garden. This is the guy who had the big cross burning and like, like in, um, you know, whatever in Stone Mountain and died a quiet death. His passing through the already compromised organization to complete disarray. There was no heir apparent with Green's background, oratory prowess, or organizational skills. And the KKK once again splintered in a disconnected set of competing factions. 
It would rise again, but for now at least it seemed that truth, justice, and the champion of the world, the champion of the oppressed had won. The long-awaited National Klan revival would not happen, although the organization would once, once again went underground and continued its hateful ways, which even showing up today. But like they had this big like coming out party, and Superman's like, nope, I'm going to smash you in the face, and no one took them seriously because of the information that they got talking about their rituals. They paid all the clans, clansmen as uh, bumbling idiots. They got laughed off the stage. And I think that's important. So I was, I was looking at, um, I was looking at like some of the stuff that happened later with Superman. You can speak more to this and we'll talk about the graphic novel. Uh, they said in 2011 action comics, 900 Superman announced his intention to give up his U S citizenship. Uh, and that triggered waves of controversy and, and like newspapers, magazines, whatever. Uh, and that storyline, Superman faces the wrath of the U S government for supporting protesters, uh, demonstrating against the totalitarian regime in Iran, deciding that it's more important to stand for the principle than to serve any one government. The character returns to his confrontational style of the late thirties and declares himself a citizen of the world. I didn't know about that storyline. Yeah, I, I'll be honest. I did not read that story. Um, I feel like that's around the time that J. Michael Straczynski had taken over and I could be wrong. Um, cause it's, well, there's 900 issues of action comics. So that <laughs> it can be hard to remember, uh, when certain things happen, but, uh, uh, and actually, they're at a thousand now because uh, I think two years ago they released Action Comics one thousand. Uh, but if I remember correctly, they were working uh, the the writing teams on, on Superman were I think trying to approach the character from a perspective of being a world citizen, like you said, as opposed to being just an agent of truth, justice, and the American way. And I. I I even remember when Superman Returns came out in 2006, the, there were some people who were complaining that he doesn't say he stands for truth, justice, and the American way. And I'm like, well, that's that's not really like the biggest thing about the character of Superman and what that meant in 1978 and when Christopher Reeve said it in the movie that you saw because you probably never read a comic book. <laughs> It does not represent what it does today, unfortunately. So well, no, you're right because like even that announcement on the radio show about like uh, it, it doesn't say the truth, justice, American way. That changed later, um, and yeah, it's just they they morph Superman a little bit. But for the people that know his roots and where he came from, you're right. Like people, if people are going to be upset that he's not fighting for the American way, that's like he is, you know. <laughs> He's American, but that doesn't mean he has to be uh, beholden to like it's it's like the whole like Steve Rogers Captain America thing like like where do you think that character would be today? Which side do you think he'd be on in terms of the things going on right now? I don't think so. And I, yeah, so go ahead. I, I honestly do like, and again, this isn't so much in terms of storytelling, but when Captain America first came out. You know, the first movie is called Captain America, the first Avenger, so that the film could at least. I understand, like if I lived in the UK and a movie came out that was called, you know, Captain Britain, although there is uh, that version of, the, of a Marvel character, I believe. 
I'd be like, huh, all right. And I don't know that I'd be as inclined to see that movie. Actually, I would, because I'll see any superhero movie, but <laughs> I'm not the norm. I, I could see marketing-wise that people would go like, ah, oh, Collie and Captain America could be a problem considering it's going to play across the entire world. Uh, I think in the case of the, the Superman story, I think the intent was simply that, you know, this character can't continue to be just an American icon if he's supposed to be what he's supposed to represent. Um, and I, I honestly, I remember there being some controversy uh, around issue comics or action comics 900, I think it was that you mentioned. But honestly, it was one of those things that I was like, it's it's he's a fictional character, A, but B, like it makes sense not only from a story point uh you know point of view but also from i hate to say a marketing point of view but superman should represent all of us not just one country so that's uh, yeah, that's a very long tangent of me trying to agree with what you're saying <laughs> but you know i do I, I do wonder that that uh you know i i think captain america was in small print uh when the winter soldier came out and I, you know, I think uh, Captain America Civil War was much bigger than Captain America. So um, I, I understand that point of view from a marketing standpoint as well. But it, it also just makes sense from a story point of view for the, the character to be somebody who's going to represent all nations, not just the United States. Yeah, so that's fair. So uh, we're now going to pivot into our discussion about the graphic novel that just came out uh, called Superman Smashes the Clan. Uh, so we'll get into that right now. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. So there we go. So we're going to talk about uh, Superman Smashes the Clan, uh, which just came out. Why did it, it just came out like a couple months ago, right? Like I think it just. Or- yeah, I think it was April when I looked it up, and I was unaware that it was that uh, recent of a, a book. Yeah, so um, this is by uh, uh, Gene Luen Yang and uh, uh, Guhriu, um, which is a collaborative of a couple people that do. Um, so th- the, the the book is written and then drawn by, uh, um, I know Gene Luen Yang is, um, is Chinese-American. And I, so I, there is the, 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 the team that put this together are, are Asian-American. If not, like, this is me being, like, I didn't look into the other half of this but so let me just stop you real quick i I did look into this a little bit because i was unfamiliar with guru guru um and i i hope to god i'm saying that right i apologize if i'm slaughtering it um but they are a japanese japanese Japanese. sorry you're right i'm Um, so sorry that's no that's okay again (laughs) it's just i have it up in front of me so (laughs) um and, uh, you know, one of them, uh, it's, it's very much like a, uh, any other comic book collab- collaboration, except they just happen to prefer to be recognized as that one entity where you'd normally have a penciler name and then an inker name and then a colorist name. So, okay. um, it's, it's more like a studio. We'll put it that way. It's just, it's, it's terrible of me and it's shitty of me to be like Chinese, Japanese, they're distinctly different people and I screwed it up. So that's like... Well, I, yeah. I think we all know that it was not intentional. I think, uh, you know, I sometimes forget is, uh, you know, um, Hugh Jackman, Australian or Austrian. I can't remember because <laughs> they sound like alike a, a, uh, as far as, you know, the way they're spelled. But I, I can't remember which one. But it's not like 
I'm saying Austrians and you know Australians are the same. So it's yeah. it's an understandable um, thing that you just weren't sure. I it was there was no malice behind that intent. I'm sure we we all understand that. Yeah. So I I screwed that up. They just tells you it's like this is an amazing story about how Superman tries to educate people about intolerance and accept everybody, and then Paul messes up the country where people are from. So great, good on me. All right. I, I, my foundation is a castle made of sand. I can tell you that. So anyway, geography um, is not one of my strong suits. So it wasn't like I was going to correct you, but, uh, I just had it up in front of me. Yeah, no, I mean, I openly, I openly accept my, my mistakes. Are you, um, are you currently backing up an ice cream truck? (laughs) Sorry. Uh, (laughs) my laptop is receiving text messages and I forgot that the volume was on because Normally, I don't text from my laptop, so... I just thought you were backing this podcast up to fix the problems that I had created earlier. <laughs> you're, like, you're like, whoa, 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 got to back this up, beep. These, you know, it's Japanese, not Chinese, Paul, like, you're right. So, um, yeah, since I've blabbed a lot here about everything, you, you read the book, um, and so, please, to set the stage, it's a graphic novel, so it's it's like... When Comicsology it was like two hundred some like pages, so it's a lot of information. This is a three issue series, I believe. Um, set the stage. What, what's going on? So yeah, set in the nineteen forties. Um, there is a a family um, named the Lees who live in, I guess there's a Chinatown portion of Metropolis, and they move into essentially the bigger city version of Metropolis, um, and with that. Uh, there is a mother and a father. The, the father, they're moving there for his job. He's a, a scientist working for, I think it's the, I'm trying to remember how, how they describe it in the, the story. I feel like Metropolis Health Metropolis Department. Metropolis Health Department, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, he has two kids. Uh, they're, I'm going to, I don't know if they specifically give their ages, but I'm going to say the older boy is probably 12. and Maybe the sister is maybe like nine or ten mm-hmm. um i'm just guessing on the ages but uh they're a family who moves into metropolis proper uh so that he can take a job um the story also um is juxtaposed with superman uh learning more about his origins um and they basically the stories intertwine as we see the experiences of both Superman finding out more about his status as somebody who came from another planet and the Lees uh, assimilating to life in uh, Metropolis. But the bigger, larger picture of that is, is that the Ku Klux Klan is a big entity in the, Metropolis. The clan of the Fiery Cross. Let's, yeah, just not, let's not cause a lawsuit here, please. Yeah, I'm sorry. The, the clan of the Fiery Cross <laughs> is a large entity in the uh, in, in current Metropolis, um, and the Lees soon find themselves under the. Um, they're well. They're they're being they're targeted, targeted yeah. by the the Fiery Cross because um, the one kid. So uh, Tommy goes and, and, and throws a pitch. He, he's a really good pitcher, and um, we have Jimmy Olsen, who's running a baseball team at Unity House, uh, which is something they brought. So I should also take a step back and beep, 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 and back us up a little bit. Uh, Jimmy Olsen, Daily Planet, the name of the Daily Planet, Jimmy Olsen, uh, Perry White, were all added uh, via the radio program and not the comic. 
by the way. Uh, also, the phrase up, up, and away was added for the radio show, and kryptonite was actually introduced in the radio program. So, just want to bring it all together because, uh, you know, Jimmy Olsen plays a big part in the story, um, at least being like a through line for bringing the Lees to the Unity House and also being the manager of the baseball team. Um, but there's another kid, I, f- I forget his name, uh, but he's upset that Lee is taking like credits or attention from him. And Lee goes to throw a pitch at him and, and it goes wild and ends up uh, hitting the kid in the arm. And he's upset. And then he starts using like really foul language, like racist language towards Lee. And, and Olsen's like, you're out. Like, get out of here. You're fired. Get off the team. I don't know why Jimmy Olsen's telling this kid he's fired, but whatever. Uh, and then we... Well, he's the manager of the baseball but, team. Yeah, but it's like... but this He's it, the this, Tommy Lasorda. Yeah, that's fine. But it's like, these are all kids. That you could be like, you're no longer... You're fired? It's like, okay, well, you got to talk to HR and make sure you get your last paycheck before you're out the door. Um, but, I don't know if you know this about Jimmy Olsen, but he's very by the books. <laughs> Fair enough. But then, uh, then that kid goes and talks to his uncle about what happened. And, and then you find out that the uncle was actually, you know, uh, the grand scorpion of the clan of the fiery cross. Cause you know, everybody has to have a cool name. Um, yeah. It, so it sets this conflict up where it's like, there's a lot of different like tensions going on. There's a, there's the struggle though. Of Superman also trying to come to grips with himself in terms of being of two worlds. Um, there's also the, the younger daughter, um, of the Lee family also Roberta. Roberta. Yeah. Who is kind of like, she's kind of our main character. I know it's a Superman story, but she's our main character throughout all this. Um, and yeah, it's, it's this wonderful woven tale together of how, even though Superman is amazing in all these things, uh, he can't be there for everything and he can't necessarily stop an ideology. So it's, I, this was and so like, before we get too further in the book, this follows um, the major beats of the 13 part radio serial that was back in 47 of the clan of the fiery cross. You can tell that the writer took some liberties of updating the story in terms of like character involvement. And I think he, he made it a little bit more Superman E in the sense of the um, Superman discovering his own like identity. Um, but I, I was, I don't know what I was expecting. Cause I read the book about the history of the actual radio broadcast Then I read the comic and I'm like, Holy shit, this is actually following the radio program on the major beats, like all the way through. And I was, I was tickled by this. Like, I was like, this is amazing that the story still like, well, I guess I shouldn't be tickled. It's not the right word. It should break my heart that the story still resonates, but it was still set in the forties and it was still Superman being Superman to the point to where he ran on telephone wires. Cause he didn't want to interrupt traffic. Like they did their Superman research and it shows throughout all of this. So I didn't want to jump right to the end, but I, I, I want to ask, the question about Superman flying throughout this entire story, it's presented that Superman doesn't, doesn't know that he can fly or that he does know, but he just won't because he feels like it'll separate him too much from the common man. Um, and it's uh, a triumphant moment at the end of the movie or movie of the comic where he actually uses his power of flight. 
Um, and it's essentially designed as a way to one for him to, to be like, I'm, I'm no longer afraid to show you who I am, but also, uh, that Superman takes advice that Roberta gives him that he shouldn't restrain himself. Was that actually in the radio series? Cause I, when you mentioned that it followed it, I, I thought that that might've been a modern convention of it the is. story because so- it's very interwoven within the the story itself so of the, him grappling with his power. Yeah. So the big thing to my knowledge was that the Lee family, the mother and the daughter were never named uh, Tommy. So they did change the family to Japanese because they didn't want to necessarily, there, there's even a quote I found later where when they found out the outrage, that the clan got pissed about the radio program Someone's like, we changed the race of the family as not to upset them, but it turns out that didn't matter. It's basically, they're like, we knew you guys were going to get mad. So whatever, like, which I thought was great where it's like, we're going to upset you, but we wanted to make a, we wanted to, to like give you the opportunity to not react. But of course you got mad at it. Um, so Tommy ends up getting a broken arm because of a pitch thrown at him. Uh, and so he's in the hospital. Like, so the whole Lee family portion of it and him getting into the river and being kidnapped by the clan and him running away, all that's there where Superman saves him. So that's all there, but Roberta and the mother, they're, they're never identified. I'm going to guess that the, the Lois Lane, um, as much as she was a good foil for him, for Superman, I, I think they gave her more agency in the story. I think, uh, I, I think that credit to the writer that they fleshed out and for a story that was so ahead of its time and very inclusive, I think that they found the heart of it and, and made it beat that much louder. That's from what I can understand. And people can go and find the, the, the serial it's online to listen to. I just didn't have time to get to the whole thing. Um, but I might check it out after this. That's that's interesting. I uh, I may continue the rest of this podcast in my 1940s radio voice. So while we were at the, oh, I, I must. Damn it, I can't do it. That's called Mid Atlantic. It's like this Mid Atlantic accent that doesn't really exist anywhere. It's like today. Me- in the, yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, back at the yeah. King residence, Steve had a thought about Superman. Yeah. Uh, so, well, uh, will he finish uh, his thought? Tune in next week. (laughs) (laughs) But on on a more serious note um, of the story, um, one, I wanted to say Roberta is pretty much our protagonist in this story. Mm. I mean, yes, Superman is the title character, but Roberta is really the character that it's walking us through this story. And it's hard not to love Roberta. Uh, She starts off as a a girl who's, who's very sort of shy and doesn't want to stand out to somebody who by the end of the story uh, is basically going to become a cub reporter for the, um, for the daily planet under Lois Lane's tutelage. Um, So you sort of see her character blossom throughout the story and her being willing to take chances to do what's right. Um, I also wanted to applaud the story for, and it it took me, honestly, it took me aback in a lot of ways because this is supposed to be a, also a young reader comic. They don't shy away from the just awfulness of the fiery clan, if you will. 
Or, um, or other people. Like there's even the bit okay. where uh, I forget the kid's name. He's the, he's the, the, um, the kid that's angry that Lee took his place, you know, whatever on the baseball team. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a bit where he's conflicted, but his mother comes in because his, his mother and him are under the care of their uncle. Uh, cause you know, it, it's implied that the, his father died. So it's like, he is, he's struggling this entire time of trying to appease his uncle, but also really like, there's this like doubt, like coming into him. Cause like, I like these guys and Superman's my favorite person of all time. And he's telling me I'm on the wrong side of things. I got to figure my life out. There's a bit where his mother says to him, she's like, well, you know, well, wouldn't it, isn't it okay if like people just want to live amongst like their own kind? It's like, she says it so offhandedly. You're like, holy shit, you're nice to your son and you appreciate where you're at, but you're still saying terrible things. Yeah, and actually he says that later on to Tommy when he's trying to justify yeah. where he's still trying to figure things out. He actually says that to Tommy. He's like, look, I understand that my uncle's evil, but is it wrong to just want to live among your own kind? Um, on that same token, you know... It's funny because we we tend to think of comics in a lot of ways as like being adult these days, um, you know. And I don't want to turn this into a conversation about the way comics are uh, produced these days, but you know, the '80s were sort of a reawakening of like these can be modern stories told for adults. Dot dot dot. And with that. Uh, there were, you know, the boundaries of language were pushed, the boundaries of visuals were pushed, and the, the things that they could tell in stories, um, particularly once, you know, the comic code, comics code, I think, I think about the end of the 90s, comics code doesn't even exist anymore. But reading this story that is targeted at young adults, you know, they don't shy away from the, and I don't want to use the term, but there's a, a, a term that uh, they use for, the Lee's family a couple of times. That's just awful. Oh God! Yeah. But also the idea that they are willing to just kill a 10 year old boy or 12 year old boy or how old he is for their cause. Like they're literally going to kill Tommy and let him die. Uh, the, the fiery crosses. And it, it took me aback because I'm like, wow, I, I, I guess because it was a young adult, I expected it to be a little sugar coated. And this doesn't feel sugar-coated at all as oh, I was no. reading it. I mean, there's certainly, uh, you know, an old timeliness to it because of the art style, the the period that it's being portrayed in, that kind of thing. But it feels very much like they're not holding back. They're not pulling their punches with showing you how despicable these people can be and the lengths that they're willing to go. It, it actually makes it. I, and again, I, I don't mean this to take away from the Superman of character, the character of Superman, but it's it's a juxtaposition where it's like Superman can, you know, uh, he can in this story run along the, the tops of uh, telephone wires and is very fast and can do these things. And he starts off the story fighting the I think it's Adam Smasher might be the character. It's it's the Adam but, man. Yeah. That's because yeah. I thought it was important that they pointed out that this was also like a bygone Nazi villain that like I, yeah. I just also real quick, I like the way that he's trying to smash the 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 dam at Metropolis. And Lois Lane is a few questions and he's like, I'm trying to smash this dam. She's like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me why you're doing it though. <laughs> like I thought that was great. <laughs> 
Sorry, yeah, please I, I always love it whenever, uh, you know, something bad is going down. And it's usually Lois Lane who asks the question, like, do you even know where you are? Like, <laughs> you, you realize who lives here, right? It, it's Superman. But uh, no, just seeing that juxtaposed against this real life evil and, and the fact that they didn't pull punches uh, was really refreshing. And it's a, a you know, it's it's a nice reminder that, like, you know, I shouldn't say a reminder and it should, I shouldn't say nice, but it's I, I, I initially as I was reading, I was like, oh, it's interesting that they didn't include Lex Luthor in the stories simply because he was he's he's Superman's biggest villain. Um, but then I realized also that it, it doesn't necessarily the fire across his his motives don't line up with the fiery cross. He doesn't hate other people. He just hates Superman. So <laughs> I was like, well, that makes sense not to leave him in the story. Um, but then just thinking about the fact that, you know, this real life awfulness is portrayed in the story um, was powerful. I guess that's the best way of putting it. I spent the last five minutes describing it just to come up with one world it's powerful and it hits you in the gut when you're reading it yeah like just like you're, you're talking there's um just some like there's the very offhanded racism that happens there's also uh, even with mr lee whenever um the the cross is burned on his uh, his property and there's the the car full of um uh, the african-american gentlemen they're like we need like we're gonna get out and help this and lee is biased towards them and like, and then the moment like he realizes they're there to help, and that the one guy's actually an officer with the Metropolis Police Department, like a detective, he 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 also is faced with his own biasness, and it's like, so they don't shy away from that. This is something that could happen to anybody. I'm not saying that Lee's a bad guy because he's not, but it didn't, you know, like it it's still grounded in reality of like, yes, this family's been just targeted for the worst reason that doesn't mean that people don't already have their own biases and need to overcome them. I thought that was, I thought that was great. I thought that was a good message, especially again, you mentioned this is like a, a young adult graphic novel, like get that across that. It's like, yeah, they're wronged. They still need to approach others and accept them as well. Even Mr. Lee originally was apprehensive of Superman and you find out why later, uh, because of his job kind of putting in his head and then realizing that that like once you're faced with like evidence to suggest otherwise you change your position like there's there's a lot going on in this young adult graphic novel that I was not expecting and then again factor in that like the sick the skeleton of it is the radio program and it's just good on good on the writer that he was able to walk this tightrope of keeping all that worked and then making it better. Cause I'm going to guess that the people that were involved in the radio program, if they would have read what they, he had done, they'd been like, can we air this right now? Can we voice this? I feel like that's where they would have been with it. Yeah. And, uh, on that same token, the, uh, the, uh, there's a point later in the story where, um, I feel like it's the detective in the story. I think his name is Henderson. Okay. Yeah. He, Henderson, um, Perry white and Liz lane are all kidnapped by the cross of the fiery, whatever. Um, <laughs> the, uh, can we just say they're the clan? We'll just, we'll say the clan. We'll put it that way. Cause I can't 
keep trying to say the cross of the fiery clan. <laughs> the but cross of the fiery clan. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> uh, but uh, long story short, uh, the group it, of the it, angry tea. No. Yes. <laughs> Uh, his, his badge gets, uh, Henderson, um, who's a black detective, his, his badge gets ruined and he's like, you know how many years I had to work for this? Or he makes a statement of just like how hard he had to work to get that badge. And they're like, well, it'll be, you know, I'm sure they'll replace it. But he's like, yeah, that's not exactly what I mean. It's just that what this symbolizes. But then I think it's Perry White who says to him, he's like, well, that's not what makes you a hero. You know, your actions make you a hero. The fact that you carry a badge, you know, is sort of, I don't want to say secondary to what makes him a hero, but he's, he's trying to, you know, let him know like, Hey, you know, you're a hero because you're a, you're a hero, not because of the badge that you carry. And I, I thought that was a really great moment. Uh, then we actually see, that's the other thing that we see is, is, uh, and if we're going to remain topical, uh, we, we, we see a uh, that some of the police happen to also have ties to the Klan and have motives that are not entirely uh, mindful of, you know, protect the innocent kind of thing. Yeah. So like and, and whenever like they, the, like they're going to do something, I forget when the, the, the um, you know, the, the, the angry T guys were like, Oh, we got to take this, this guy out. He's like, he has a badge on, like we got to, we got to wait for him to get the badge off like that. The symbol of him being a cop, the moment you take that away, they're able to then like, see them in the lane of hate that they're in. But it's like, if we kill, if we kill a cop, that's bad. But if we kill a black guy, it doesn't matter. We're justified, right? That's a big deal. And the one, the one police officer is very dismissive of that. Like in terms of him being an officer, being a detective. Um, I think that's very important because again, uh, this goes through my through line of my, um, of my statement earlier when I was more coherent and there was thunder and lightning going on is that, um, the clan, everything's based upon like the stupid mythology they made up. It's, it's all fan fiction. Um, but for some reason it's fan fiction. They believe is justified in their actions. Right. So then, um, that's why this exists. And so also too, to, 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 to your point earlier about asking about how close this follows the story, whenever, um, Riggs, which I don't know if that's, um, a reference to, uh, Mel Gibson's character and, um, you know, lethal weapon. <laughs> <laughs> God, that'd be I'm terrible. I'm pretty sure no. <laughs> no, but, but all right. <laughs> uh, so he goes and, and goes to the um, the his boss in the clan, which you know what was it? he was like the the ever the all seeing octopus or whatever his title was. I don't know. Um, you know this <laughs> the seafood platter of um, whatever. Um, and he's like, oh, what, here's what's going on. And then his, then his his boss was like. Yeah, he basically is like, you're an idiot. He's like, this message of hate, he's like, we 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 make money off of this. We're about memberships and selling robes. That was in the radio story to expose that this is not this is based on hate, but it's a pyramid scheme. That was in the original radio play, which you, you might not believe that because it's like that feels like that's the modern exposure of this, but that was Stetson's like reporting back to them of like this was all a big scam to make money. And because if people are scared and angry, they will send you $10 for a robe. Like, and that's the truth. 
Wow. I, I I thought that was a contemporary edition. I didn't realize that that was in the original story. Um, no, and with Riggs killing him, too, that was also in the original story. Wow. I, I'm... I'm shocked by that. That's that's interesting, and I'm trying not to make a, a parallel with certain uh, news organization uh, <laughs> who, who does this, a very similar tactic. But uh, well, and then wow, so even, even I, the showdown at the baseball diamond, in the sense that Riggs is going there to, in, in the radio play, he was he had a sniper uh, rifle in the distance, and was going to take out a couple targets, and Superman just happens to see the glint of the um, sniper rifle scope and saves the day. So that's, that's different than the comic. I think the, the graphic novel leans more into the more comic booky Superman, like coming into his own, which again, I think that's an important parallel because there's this whole thing with it running through the comic, which is not in the radio play of Superman, like not owning up to, it's like, like his parents, the, the, the hologram of his parents, which again, whatever it's, it's Superman wave it away. Um, they're like, why do you deny half of yourself? Like be you. And we, we love you and we we're glad that you're where you're at, but be you. I think that's a big message here too. And then with the big showdown on the baseball diamond when he's flying and, but we have Riggs and his full scorpion outfit without the hood. I want to point out that there's a point where he was like, yeah, I hate everybody. Hoods off. Like, like he's not a good man. Well, okay. Let me rephrase that. There's a bit that when he's talking to his nephew about like your character build yourself, but he's like, wait, the boy that you're angry at is a, uh, is a different color than you. Well, screw that. <laughs> like, there's a whole thing yeah. of like, I'm going to teach you the right way to be until someone's different. And then screw that. We're going to throw across it. Like we're going to set fire to a cross in the ground. But then later, like even then when he is announcing, he's the grand scorpion, like he has his mask off, which I think it's by that time where he's like, you know what? I'm I, like, there is, there is an amount of cowardice that people will do this to try to intimidate others, but not show their face. His character is so like after he kills the um, you know uh, the the octopus leader or whatever his name is the Hell Hydra, whatever his name is. He he's no longer hiding his face. He's no longer hiding his contempt and his hate. And he's on the baseball field with these uh, kryptonite weapons that he knows can take out Superman. And it's like that. That's I think that's where it gets more Superman ish meaning for me and more for you got to put the butts in the seats. You want to tell a Superman story. And again, it kind of goes back to that notion of the radio play where it's like entertainment trumps education. You're learning, but there's this amazing showdown where there's this guy that he's a normal person, but he has the ability to kill Superman. He is a threat. Yeah. I mean, I love to see the Superman spectacle. It's, it's what we're drawn to. Um, you know, I love to see Superman do something that I know isn't physically possible. Uh, but at the same time, the other aspect of the character that I love is when he has to do something that any man can do, but only Superman can do it because of his belief in equality or his belief in mankind or, um, his morality, if you will. And I, this is sort of, this isn't really in the story, but it's a piece of, I think Superman's character is, is that 
one of the things that I've always liked about John, uh, John and Martha Kent as parents is, is that they're the ideal adoptive parents. They're the ones who say, you know, uh, they say to their son who is always leery of what he actually is or where he came from, that you're our son. That never change. You know, that's never going to change. And we love you no matter what you find out, you know, like as far of about your parent, or, you know, what your your actual biological parentage is or what it is that you find out about yourself. Like we're always going to be your parents, you know, no matter what. And I also think of that as a big booster of the Superman character that, uh, you know, and again, I, I don't want to get like too far off on a tangent, but I think that the idea that, uh, you know, it doesn't matter who your biological parents are. If you're adopted, you can be something great like Superman, I think is a big piece of that character as well. Um, and it's reflected in this story throughout his, his, you know, indecision, not indecision, his, his, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? His, he's torn between what, you know, the knowledge that, that well, exists the, the, about who the, he is. Like Roberta calls versus, him out on this. Like there's the whole thing yeah. of like, you know, you're limiting yourself. Like you mentioned earlier, there's a bit where, and we didn't even get into it. It's like, and again, there's a lot to get into this graphic novel and even us like talking all the way through, it is worth your time to read it. People buy it and read it, it is. It's a delight in the sense of it is, it's written. This is written by a person that if you, if you go to the back part of the book talks about like their known history in terms of being who they are and the shit their parents dealt with. And then just like in terms of like racial inequality and hate. And he, he's able to still come out with like, this is, this is the idealized. This is hope. This is where we need to be. And if we can, it's, it's like that Star Trek notion of like, we can get past this. If we just all just get over ourselves, we can do this, right? Like there's, there's these ideals, there's these notions. And it's like, so there's so much hope in this book, but there's so much venom in it because of the characters in play. And it's refreshing in the sense of like, it could have gotten down the muck and been like, yeah, these guys suck. And the entire time it does. But then you also, and this was not the point I was going to make. So I apologize. I'm going to go off on a tangent. Like, like Tommy, uh, Tommy's always upbeat and, and like, he's always like the older brother. And, and even though like, there's a whole, like they, there's back and forth with them, Roberta, where it's like, they get on each other's nerves, but they love each other. Um, the father like, you know, quits his job and realizes like, there's bigger things to worry about. Like, um, the mother, though she struggles, like, uh, speaking English and they make a point of this, like she also makes it a point to take Superman's cape and turn it into a jacket for Roberta, which is a great moment in the story. Um, like there's just all these things that go on through all this that is as much as there's garbage in the corners, there's so much pure hope and aspiration through all of it that it makes it a worthy read. And Superman struggles with his own character and his, his own, um, he has been limiting himself by on purpose because he doesn't want to be seen as nothing than just like the, um, the best version of like the American dream. He starts levitating and shooting laser eyes. Eyes. He is now a foreigner, like an alien from another world. And did you even notice how like the, the, the clan members kept referring to the Lee family as aliens to draw that parallel was, the entire time? I was actually just going to bring that up yeah. as you were talking about it. Yeah. It's, 
It's uh, no mistake that the, the use of the word alien is used for both Roberta and her family and for Superman himself. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, this was, it was good. And it's just, and to know that, like, had this been written in a vacuum in terms of somebody that was trying to be like, listen, this is an important story. I want to tell it. I think people would dig the Superman story. It'd be a good story. It'd be a great story. To know that this is built upon the framework of something that happened in 1947 or 46. It's been a long time since we talked about it. I'm sorry. That something that existed that literally crushed and took the legs out from like a hate filled organization. I know it still exists. I know that there was that dude in was it Washington State or was it Oregon that drove a car into some protesters and he admitted to being a clan leader. So good good on that he's arrested, but it's like hate still exists. And clearly look out, look out the window. Don't look at social media, look out the window and it it's there and it's still, it still divides us. But to know that this happened back then when we were still 15, 16 years away, at least if not more from like the, like the civil rights movement, that's crazy to me. You know, like that was out there and it helped ingrain and a generation much like, and this is going to tie back to um, our discussion of the toys that made us with the Kawhi and hello kitty. This is a little silly, but just bear with me. Once something has become like standardized in the norm and people can talk about and accept it and embrace it, it follows that generation forward. And I feel like this it ingrained itself in, in people growing up and I, it had to have helped. Yeah, I uh, I just wanted to say, like, on the topic of Superman, I've I've struggled. Uh, and if you were playing a drinking game, every time I either let out a sigh or uh, searched for a word, like I am right now, you'd be probably hammered by halfway through the oh, show. I mean, I am. So but, continue, please. <laughs> however, when it comes to Superman, the and I, I've been trying to like distill it down into the things that I I enjoy about the character, the things that mean the most to me about the character. But uh, it's easy to say the symbol on his chest stands for hope. That can really mean nothing. It, it's it's by the 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 choices that the character makes and the the, the stand that he takes uh, for everyone um, that means the most. And in this story executes that extremely well. And I guess the last thing that I want to say about this is as somebody who, uh, has, you know, tried to make comics in the past and and makes comics currently. Um, I want to give like huge, huge props to the creative studio of, uh, Um, God, I hope I'm saying that correctly. This story is nothing but storytelling. Um, and what I mean by that is, is and I'm going to get kind of technical here. Um, there is not a page. There's not a panel in this story that isn't there purposefully to advance the story. There, there's certainly things like splash pages and things that are supposed to be like, oh, big moments that happen in the story. But if you've been reading comics long enough, uh, like I have, you know there you know there are certain tricks that are employed to try and 
you know, uh, make the comic more interesting, but to just sit down and look at a comic and be like, how is it telling its story? There aren't, aren't as many artists who are at as good as this is at telling a story. There's pages upon pages. And this is a guy who constantly frustrates the artist that he's working with because he likes to write dialogue pages. And I'm like, Hey, here's eight pages of two people talking. And then Ryan's got to try to figure out how to draw that. This is literally like pages upon pages of people talking. It's not uninteresting in any way. And it tells the story beautifully. There's not a bad panel in this book. Um, I, I, I tend to think of like uh, the way that image guys would structure their pages back in the day. Like it would be like, oh, here's a splash page. And then the next page is a large panel and then a couple small panels around it with no backgrounds. But then the next page, large focus panel <laughs> with a couple more panels. Like, they weren't always interested in the storytelling aspect as much as they were the sexiness of, like, how can we make each image interesting? And that's not necessarily a bad way to make comics. But you can see the approach here is simply, like, I'm going to tell this story and I'm going to make every page count. And it, it works really well. It's It's one of the best uh laid out as far as i can think of in recent uh stories that i've read as far as how it achieves its storytelling and and gives the story to its reader yeah and it's just it's also that i don't know it's just clean like in terms of line work and everything and just it was it was a delight to read i i enjoyed this book a great deal and i'm glad that we chose to to talk about it but uh Cause I, I also now fear, I don't believe in like, you know, karma or anything, but Steve, every time that we pick something uplifting, like shit comes to our doorstep, like the week after, I don't know what happens. Like, it's like, we're going to talk about Mr. Rogers. My house tries to get broken into. We're going to talk about the iron giant. The world turns into a dumpster fire. I, I am worried <laughs> what's going to happen next. Now that we're talking about uh. this. Um, and then we also talked about Superman themes and allegories and the iron giant. So like, I uh, tie that back in. Like, it's just, you know, like this was, so if you're with us this far and like, I, I don't know, I, I just, how do, how do I phrase this? I got frustrated a couple of days ago on Facebook because, you know, Facebook is uh, just, it, you just, you just shout at people. That's all it is. Wait, wait, wait. You just got frustrated a couple days ago. No, no, like it's, that's fair. No. And <laughs> no, what I'm saying is like, I, I, I installed it for my phone for like a day and a half or two days or whatever. Right. And it's like, I can't even, I, it was one of those things where it's like my muscle memory kept trying to click it. And I didn't even look at it for a bit because I was just agitated with, um, with the reality of knowing that there's people that I honestly care about. And I think that they have good qualities that it's not a matter of disagreeing with me. It's a disagree. It's, it's, it's a matter of, I don't understand how you can view the situations with the outlook that you do and pretend that they're justified that come at me. Like, I'm not talking about you, Steve. I'm just saying like, it's just a hard thing where it's like, <laughs> like meaning like, you know, like it, it's just what it's just, I like, I, I don't know. I feel like we're all living in the same world, but it's like, I don't know what glasses you have on, but how do you see it that way? Like it's, 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 um, it's, it, it breaks me for a minute 
and I couldn't like credit credit to your wife that she's having the good fight and discussing everything going on. And then she even posted today. She's like, like unfriending people isn't helping because it becomes an echo chamber. I'm like, you're right. But then I just get pissed off. Like, I don't know what to do about it because it's one thing to fight the fight. It's another thing to get on this constant carousel that runs in a circle that doesn't do anything. Cause I don't think neither you or I are going to have like this definitive, like wild draw for, that we're going to drop on somebody and be like, you listen here, draw four and accept my position. That's not going to happen. Yeah. So I got frustrated. So I, I, I was off social media for a minute. Like for me, that was the longest I've ever not gone on to make a dumb statement. So maybe, maybe that's the problem that I didn't take long enough of a break, but it just, it frustrates me because like the things that I think should be, easily agreed upon aren't right now. And like the idea of Superman, I've seen so many, I've seen the S like put on like, you know, the back of vehicles, people wear the shirt, like, and it means different things to them. But I'm like, but have you considered what it really means to have that S and I, I can't, it's like the Punisher symbol. Like, like there's a lot of police departments that use that where writers of the Punishers are like, you know, Frank Castle wouldn't, would like view you as the enemy too now. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, there's, there's a misappropriation or a misunderstanding of symbology. And I think that the Superman S, um, I, it's like, have you looked at what that character was meant to be? versus what you want to show the world with it. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I just want to say on the, the subject of the Punisher, um, the Punisher is an anti-hero. He's not... He's not a good guy. Right. Um, he's, he's doing a lot of dirty work, and yes, he's taking out, say, like, drug dealers and... and, and um, mafia guys and stuff like that, but he's he's not who you should a model your police force after, and b should not be a role model if you are a police <laughs> officer. Um, yes, and just to reiterate what you're saying, without getting too personal, I I don't know that I've posted very much on Facebook recently. I'm still checking it out. I'm still posting on certain things, but I'm not actually making a lot of posts and I realized last week that and this was before I believe that we decided to not uh, have a show last week I, I simply put up a post simply saying that like hey I just want to make sure that people know that the fact that I'm not saying things is because it's out of respect but I, I also worry that it feels like it looks like consent Yeah, and then I just said, hey, I believe in Black Lives Matter, and I'm sorry if that offends people. I do. Um, and I was surprised by some of the reactions I got. Um, <laughs> I also don't feel like I'm equipped sometimes to talk about these matters, being that like I'm not, I'm not the person who's being... A, like, you, you know... Your, your day-to-day oppressed. life is not going to be... An, unfortunately right. not, I mean, not unfortunately as it mean, I'm hoping that your life is affected like the next day and that, like something happens to your job and your livelihood or whatever. 
we're we're in a position because of just because we were just popped out in this world with a certain color of our skin and like history because of shitty things people have done that we have not experienced the same level of, of frustrations, disappointments and um, oppression. Right. So, right. So how, how we're not in a position to comment on that other than to acknowledge that we don't understand. And I think that's valid. You're mentioning that you're like black lives matter, which I agree with. I, I guess I was as frustrated because it's like, I was posting things about like, um, Hey, maybe we shouldn't have statues to Confederate heroes because they were not against this country. Oh, wow. That got vicious. Like, like today, like today, literally did, I don't know, Steve, did you see the story? It's actually, they actually came out right before we started recording. NASCAR is finally banning Confederate flags and people are losing their goddamn mind. <laughs> I, I didn't see that, but, uh, Obviously, it makes me chuckle hearing <laughs> hearing that because it they lost. <laughs> like, I, I here, know here, how to tell it. Here, here, here's lost. how to say it. Here's how to say it. Game over, yeah! <laughs> there you go. Um, and some people are like, "Good luck getting your fan base back." And other people are like, "What are you talking about? Like, it's just, it's a thing, right?" So. I, it's just this whole thing. It like the whole thing just, it stinks right now. And you think that like, I think that how I, like I, I told you this last week, I struggle with a lot of things because we talk about our pop culture. We talk about the things that we love and the things that we, we hold dear. Um, there's someone that I know that introduced me to the comics when I was younger. And I, I told Steve this last week over the phone because we're talking about like the show and everything. They introduced me to Spider-Man. This this is the person that gave me my love of Spider-Man. This is the person that gave me uh, Spider-Man versus Wolverine number one. They gave me God Love, Man Kills, which we've talked about that graphic novel, the X-Men one, on the show previously. And somehow they're on the other side of a lot of issues right now. And I can't understand that because they gave me my foundational love of comics and I, and it just, I can't understand how we got completely different messages or importance of message. Cause you mentioned earlier, the X-Men that, that is all about diversity, right? Like that was what the big thing with that. Um, like, I don't, it's just, it breaks my heart because it's like, I got these loves and appreciations from people, but their viewpoints seem to stand in direct opposition to the things that they introduced me to. And I don't understand how that wasn't common ground to begin with. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I didn't want to frame it as a question of, you know, how much do you think that the media that you love framed who you are? But look, I, to give my parents credit, I'm pretty sure that I always knew that murdering people was wrong. Uh, but <laughs> to give your parents credit, I like that you're like, like, like Steve. One day you're going to grow up and want to murder somebody. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> but I have to say that a lot of the things that I grew up with and believe in and things like that were probably taught to me either through film or through 
uh, comic books or through, you know, television that I enjoyed that, that was genre based. Like, you know, I'm I'm always surprised when somebody says, you know, whether it's horror movies and they're like, I don't I don't like my horror to have social commentary. And I'm like, have you watched horror movies for like, <laughs> I don't know, the last 50 years? Because, you know, it's not every one of them. Sure. But it's a big piece of it. Um, or they, you know, are big uh, comic book fans. And I'm like, are we reading the same comics? Because this is a completely different message to what you're, pre- you're, you're presenting to me. I'm always surprised by that. I don't want to say that I, you know, that all of my moral code comes from comics, but I, I would say that some of it at, at the very least does come from the media that I, I partook of at a young age. And, you know, it's, it's sure. I have lots of comics that have cool stuff in it that I'm like, Oh man, this, you know, Punisher comics great because, you know, the Punisher, you know, fights a Russian and hits him with a toilet. Like, there are a lot of dumb moments that I love that are like that. Uh, Uh, We need need more hashtag toilet justice in this world. That's what we need. Like, yeah, there's plenty of that stuff, too. But the bigger messages I don't feel were lost on me. And I'm always wondering how they were lost on other people. And it's, it's, you know, I, I don't want to take too much credit for who I am because of the media I read, but I, I, I'm certainly not going to dismiss it either. Yeah. And so I think that's where we're going to land on this. Like, uh, it just, it much like two weeks ago, we talked about the iron giant where, um, the giant itself decided that he wanted to be Superman and not like, not just a gun. Cause that's what he was set out to be. And he realized he had a choice. I think Superman always presents the choice of you're a God among men. You can either choose to uh, conquer all or to make everything better around you. And he always defaults to, yeah, like, what can I do? Can I, can I do more? You know? And with Roberta even calling him out and being like, dude, I saw you leaping up that building. I know you can fly. You could have been more helpful. Like that kind of causes them to be like, oh yeah, I probably could do that. Like it just, it's, um, yeah, it's just, I think, I think the thing to take from all this is one it's actual history that a radio program um, made the the clan look like a bunch of like, goddamn idiots because they are and they still are. And if people have a problem with me stating, if if it's 2020, if people are like, ah, you know, well, then this isn't the show for you to listen to. I'm so sorry. Not sorry. Um, the clan are idiots and hating others just because is a dumb way to be. I'm not saying that. You can't say, hey, listen, I, you know, I'm not comfortable because X, Y, Z. Can we figure out what's going on? Have an open dialogue. Have a discussion. That's the Star Trek future. Figure your shit out. It's better than just like just getting mad and shutting down and not talking to people and not understanding that there's different people than you on this world because I don't know what throws out there. Everybody's different than you. That's my hot take. Judge me. Everybody's different than you. I learned that the hard way in uh, the shower in junior high. <laughs> there you go. Right. So um, I, I just think it's an inspiring story that people need to be aware of that this big, this big thing could have easily sidestepped and ignored 
the shit that was going on. But Kellogg's was like, Hey, what if we conquered racism and hate, which they, you know, they, they, they took a big swing at it and they landed. Um, and it's like, yeah, all it's right, very rare that you get to like come out on the side of a corporate company and be like, wow, congratulations. You actually did something good as opposed to just pushing your product. So I feel like, I feel like Wendy's is there now. Have you seen the story where they found out that one of their franchisees, uh, donated a certain amount of money to, um, like, causes and candidates that everyone's like, what are they doing? So Wendy's is like, all right, well, we're going to donate just as much to these other causes. Like Wendy's <laughs> is like, like they're, I don't know. It's just weird. Like how much they're doing like good on Wendy's. Like, and you know, I, yeah, I was not aware of that, but that's funny. Yeah. Like one of their franchisees was donating to uh, a certain presidential campaign and everyone's like, ah, and then Wendy's is like, fine, we're going to give just as much money to these other causes. It's like, yeah, I like, Wendy's isn't always my go-to for fast food, but I like them and I will, you know, like, uh, sometimes, sometimes you just got to get a frosty. That's some throw that out there. So, uh, but yeah, anyway, so yeah, it's just funny. That's like a corporate corporate sponsors. Like, yeah, what if we just tackle this problem head on? Damn the torpedoes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't happen now. So but yeah, uh, no, I'm, I am so thankful that we took a step back and I pitched this idea to Steve about the historical event. And then, um, that I happened to see that there was a comic about it. Um, and then not realizing that the comic about like, that was kind of like tackling the same thing was a, a, um, updated reflection of the radio script, which I just, that made me, it delighted me as I was reading. I'm like, I know this already from reading this book. This was a good talk, and I'm not saying every one of our episodes is going to be as um, politically charged. I mean, my God, look at our look at our like everything we do. Like, we're not going to change our stance, and I think you guys know how we feel. And if you disagree with it, I'm open to discussion. But if you're just so frustrated and can't listen to the show anymore, okay. I mean, I'm not going to change your mind. You know, like I, it is what it is. I just hope that I hope that. How do I phrase this? I have, I have changed as a person over my 41 years of this earth because I've been, there's been times where I've been face to face with things that have challenged my belief systems and I've either, either had to accept, understand and adapt or reject completely. And, um, I have, I have adapted and changed and reflected more than I've rejected. If that makes sense. No, that makes sense. And I, I'll say that, uh, Boy, I really don't want to piss people off with this, but uh, I'll just say that uh, for me personally, I feel that I became much of a better person through uh, the the pop culture media that I have taken in than, say, um, the books that people would tell me I should be reading <laughs> that are to give me my moral compass. So we'll leave it at that. Well, I'm going to go one step further cause you're going to be mad at this. I've been watching that, uh, that solar opposites TV show on Hulu. That's, uh, per, that's created by Justin Roiland from uh, Rick and Morty. And there's just a bit where these aliens are trying to figure out something. And the one aliens like, I'll, I'll shoot you at the smart ray. And he's like, oh, I don't want that. And then they chase each other all over the house. They break the smart ray. And then later on, one of them's like, but if I give him the dumb ray, he'll side with me. And they're, he's chasing the one guy over the house. He takes the dumb ray. He sh he ends up shooting a mathematics textbook. It turns into the Bible. 
and that made me laugh so hard. I'm just going to throw it out there. <laughs> that's, I'll have to check that out. And, yeah. and Rick, and Mor- Rick and Morty's a, another. Rick and Morty uh, first, please. Uh, Solar Opposites is okay, but please. Yeah, yeah I'll so, check yeah. both out. But anyway, all right. I think it's going to do it on our talk about Superman smashing the KKK. Again, please buy uh, the graphic novel support the creators of that. I think it's a, I think it's a well worth your time. It is awesome. Um, and you could buy it. You can either buy like the, the digital version or, um, you could buy like the physical version. If you, if you're in Cleveland, like again, Steve mentioned Carolyn John's comics in Cleveland, I'm sure they'd be more than happy to get a copy for you. Uh, it, it's, it's a lot of fun. And that, uh, by Glenn, Lewin Yang and, um, you know, the creative team. Uh, there yeah. you go. Thank you. And then also uh, the book that I referenced earlier, which is, uh, let's see here. Come on. I will get that. Ned's, I'll get the name of the uh, book again here. If people are interested, it is, um, it, it's, it's an easy read. Like I, um, like I said, I blew through it in like, like two hours. Uh, so it is Superman versus the Klux Klan. The true story of how, the iconic superhero battle of the men of hate by Rick Bowers. It's definitely worth a read. Um, yeah. So thanks to those two things. I think that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, you guys can find us on uh, Facebook um, where uh, I need to change our image from all black to, because we were trying to respect all the shit going on. I will, there will be a UFO soon. I promise. You guys can comment on our episode. Let us know what you think about it. Uh, and we're well open to that conversation. You guys can find us on our, our websites, invasionthepodcast.com. Uh, there are blog posts there. It's been a bit. Um, yeah, it's been a bit. Uh, you guys can read all about the Western content, uh, year of canon, year of knockoff stuff. It's there. And uh, Steve, how can people find you? You can find me at the Saturday Night Slasher.com. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram under the Saturday Night Slasher. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter, I think is the Saturday slasher. Uh, but, uh, mostly you can find me hanging out in my house because, uh, uh, regardless of, uh, what, what is reopening, I'm still pretty much under quarantine. So, uh, I will say real quick here, uh, if you have a favorite Superman story, please throw it at us, uh, on our Facebook. Let us know what it is. Um, I keep threatening to talk about uh, uh, to Paul. I haven't made a declaration, and, and maybe I will get this going at some point. But I, at some point, would like to do a monthly column on the website about why I love comics. Um, and God willing, I will get that done. It'll probably be next year before it comes out. But uh, <laughs> uh, One of the, the first comics that I read when I got into comics was a Superman comic. Uh, I think it's Superman number three, which is when it relaunched um, by John Byrne. And uh, the villain in that is a, a character named Bloodsport. And there's a, a twist to who that character is. At it's Jean-Claude Van Damme. Story. It's, 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 not, it's not quite that good. Oh, but, okay. Uh, it's a, a great uh, uh, comic, and that's one that I would cover uh, should I ever get uh, said uh, – blog post slash uh, post uh, story. Fair enough. What an article 
up, if you will. I mean, but please let us know if you have a favorite Superman story. Throw it up on the Superman on the on the Superman page on the web page. <laughs> let us know. I would love to hear what stories you guys love. Absolutely, and you guys can find us on uh, uh, Stitcher, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Music, where we get your podcast rate and review us would be greatly appreciated. Um, you guys should be thankful that I did not go into a half hour um, rant about how much I love. Uh, Con Air, which I watched again, like for like the umpteen time last night. Uh, that movie's so dumb, but I love it. Um, that feels like a canon film, but it has more money to it, and it actually made money. Um, Steve, you know Con Air, right? Like you've seen Con Air, right? Like it's so it's two a, things you know, about that. One, I want to say that it it, it gives uh, one of the best jokes in the movie Dogma uh, <laughs> by uh, introducing Chris Rock, Rock. falling to the sky. <laughs> And uh, Jay saying, do you think he, somebody threw him out of a plane like that guy in Con Air? Uh, which was Pinball, which was uh, Dave Chappelle yeah, in that movie. Yeah, the number two thing uh, that uh, I remember walking out of that movie and uh, saying to people was, is like, because Nicolas Cage was being talked about to play Superman and he had a mullet at the time. And as you know, because you just watched Con Air, he's got a mullet in that movie. I'm like... I don't know. I could maybe see him play playing <laughs> Superman. So I am very familiar with Conair. Oh God, that movie. It's like, it's so tone deaf. I just, it's so dumb. I love it. But anyway, all right. So that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, we've not talked about what's happening next week. There, there's going to be a show next week. Trust us. We'll figure it out. Um, hope you guys enjoyed this talk. Um, and please, 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 Go like look up like read the book about the history of the uh, the the radio serial or read the comic book or do both. Uh, watch the drunk history segment about it. It's not accurate, but it's drunk and it's funny. Um, Kevin Nealon plays a Klansman in it, like so that's funny. Uh, but yeah, that's going to do it for us this week. Next week, something else. I don't know. We'll get there when we get there. Have a safe week. Um, you know, just. Take a step back, take a breather, and just, I don't know, like, think and appreciate and understand and listen. I think that's the important things. And maybe ask yourself what Superman would do. <laughs> <laughs>